with such a limited time and to enjoy your watercraft. Don't waste any of it worrying about how to protect it when you have it uh, stored for the winter. Allpointsinsurance.ca, All Points Marine, on your coverage. Leave your worries at the door. All risk, agreed value protection, claims paid without depreciation. Winterization, freezing vermin coverage. That applies to right now in mid-December, everybody. Uh, Three-year new model replacement, emergency towing and loss of use, et cetera, et cetera. Great coverage at allpointsinsurance.ca for your watercraft. Thanks for the support of the show, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Here's Ray. A Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Ray Ferraro and Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pulp Hockey Podcast. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Happy holidays to everybody, by the way, who's uh, listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, get it on iTunes. Get it on Stitcher. Get it at pulphockey.com. And uh, each and every week, myself and uh, this man will be talking hockey and uh, educating you all on the game. And it's uh, fantastic to have him on the show. TSN color analyst, ex-NHL player, Ray Ferraro. What's up, Ray? How are you? I'm doing good. I was uh, I'm sitting in my hotel room in Toronto. We did the uh, first World Junior exhibition game last night, and uh, I'm sitting with my back to the window. Mm-hmm. And there's a mirror. Well, it's a picture frame uh, on the far wall. And I I've been sitting here. I don't know, 15 minutes. I just noticed it is snowing now behind me. I guess it is December, and snow does mm-hmm. happen here. Yes, but but this was. This was not what I was anticipating. <laughs> and so now I guess that means I'm locked into my hotel room because I'm soft now yeah. for the rest of the day. I'm yeah. like, it's too cold out yeah, there. Yeah, that, that's it. So you are, of course, out there uh, working the World Juniors. Um, yes. How long are you there for? Are you? It's all in Buffalo. So you got to do the exhibition game, that you, which you did last night. How long are you out there for? The whole entire time? Well, right? I'm... No, I'm. Uh, we have a game uh, game Wednesday, which was yester- yesterday. Uh, we have a game Friday in Hamilton mm-hmm. where they play the Swiss. Saturday morning, I fly home, um, and so that's the 23rd. Okay, so I'm home the 23rd, 24th, and 25th. I'm on a two o'clock flight back here on the 25th. Ah, okay. All right, and uh, so we get to have Christmas at home, and the you know the kids are all excited. The little guys are excited. Santa's on. Uh, you know, making his final prep, and we've got uh, our elf in the shelf, Marley, um, who is uh, watching over proceedings. So this, <laughs> right, is a, right. this is a fun time, man. When the kids are little, at Christmas is is just so fun. And, it, I, you know, you try to remember yourself uh, as a little kid, and I'm like, I can't remember being this excited about anything. Yeah. Like, yeah. they, they can't even contain themselves <laughs> anymore. Just, yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, like Reese, Reese our eight-year-old, He's changed his list like four times in the last ten days, and, and you know, like the list is supposed to be into Santa. You know, like yeah, so yeah. Had you, to remind yeah. him here, you know, look, the elves can't keep changing this on the fly here. Yeah, you, know, you got. He's like, yeah, I know, I thought of something else, and you know, it's just so awesome. Now, how many times have you and Cammy forgot to move uh, Marley on the shelf? Um, we have had, I would say, a half a dozen times 
where we've been in bed, kind of just about <laughs> shut down, and Sorry. one of us sit up like a lightning bolt, like, did you move Marley? <laughs> and you're like, no. And you're like, oh, man, and you got to go move it. And you, Like, if you screw that thing up yeah. <laughs> and you don't move them from one day to the next, then you got – you got, a, big you got a, lot explain, a lot of explaining to do, a lot of explaining. Yeah, and it's just not going to work because they're now old enough that they'd be sharp enough to get the – they'd be like, right. wait a minute. Right. Something not quite right happened here. Yeah, but that's that's happened half a dozen times to us. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's now like – first of all, the tough part is, is you know, you, you've got to know where Marley is at the start of December. We just moved into a new house. That yeah. was a – about a six-hour unpacking adventure. Yeah, to to figure this whole thing out. So, but we got to go on, and we're looking forward to Christmas. Then we come back uh, to Buffalo from the Boxing Days, the tournament beginnings, of yeah. course. And um, the Canadian team looked uh, while well, they they pummeled the Czechs yeah. yesterday, and but the Czechs didn't have probably four of their very best players, and including Philip Heedle, who is a New York Rangers first rounder who mm-hmm. made the Rangers out of camp and then is now in the American League, um, but he didn't play. They didn't play a second-round pick, a defenseman um, who plays or who's drafted by Tampa. Um, so they left those guys and two others out of the lineup. Not that that would have changed the score. Yeah. But, um, my whole point was going to be Canada looks like a pretty interesting team. They're fast. Um, they were pretty, pretty impressively skilled. Um, this is the first time... Since 1979, they don't have a top 10 NHL draft pick as one of their forwards. Really? Holy smokes. And I didn't, I didn't hear that. A, you know, that's wow. crazy. Yeah. And so they are, um, um, they're balanced. They're, you know, Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo from St. Louis. Uh, St. Louis picks looked terrific yesterday. Um, uh they they'll they'll form part of the the top line. Taylor Radish had a couple of goals. He had five in the mm-hmm. tournament yesterday or last year. Tampa's got four more picks on this team. Um, you know, uh, uh, and I say four more. That's yeah. considering what they already have in the NHL. Yeah, what's like going? Yeah, yeah. There's but the Swedes are going to have a you know a really good team again. They've got of course Rasmus Dahlin, who will be the headliner of the tournament. He'll be the number one pick in the draft this year, but they've got a another defenseman um, that fans in Vegas are going to love in a hurry, uh, Brandstrom, and uh, he was their first round pick. And um, this kid plays in the same style as Eric Carlson, and um, so that's that's you know that's, mm-hmm. that's two thirds of their of their defense. The Finns have five first rounders on their blue line. Jeez. So wow. there's going to be yeah. there's going to be some really good teams here at the tournament, and I think Steve, the cool part is there's no one team that you look at and go, "Wow, they're way better than everybody else." So I think it's yeah. there's four or five teams that really could dig their meat hooks into into a race for the gold. You got the Finns, the Czechs, yeah. the Russians, Canada, and of course the defending champion, the U.S., is going to be really good again. Yeah, I've been reading and listening to some previews from from you know all the experts like yourself, and I don't think anybody can come to a conclusion on who's going to win this thing. Like it, it, it does seem like everything I read and everything I hear, guys have different picks for, for who can win this gold. So, and the the cool part about tournament hockey too, it's un, it's so unlike the NHL schedule, which over the course of eighty two games. You're going to have hot streaks and cold streaks, and 
at the end of the day, it all flushes out, and you go, okay, that team is probably the best team. Yeah. It might not be that clear, but you can say it. In tournament hockey, it's, you know, it's ten day, two weeks. Yep. If your goalie gets hot, if your power play is good, yeah. um, that could be the deciding factor. And it doesn't mean that you're the very best team by a long shot. It might mean, yeah, for 10 days, you, you hit all cylinders. Yep. And, and I, I love that about tournament hockey. Of all the games I do, these are the most fun because they're kids, mm-hmm. so they're emotional. They make just enough mistakes so the games are unpredictable. I always love country versus country. Yeah. I, you know, I just, I've yeah. always been a sucker for that. Uh, right back to 1972 when <laughs> I first saw it, which yeah. was Canada-Russia, and I, I was just, like everybody else, I was just hooked into it and have been really my whole life. So it's, uh, it's a fun, fun tournament to do. You uh, you talk about fun, and we talked about outdoor games uh, last week on the show. And I said the the next outdoor game that I watch that'll be entertaining will be the first. And, and we kind of we talked about that a little bit. And the Senators and Habs had one. And again, I, I would I would challenge anyone to find some that it was that entertaining to watch. And that leads me to my next point: the Canada USA game is outdoor this year, um, and you're going to be doing it. So. Yeah. Now here's here's the again about tournament game as opposed to um, you know one of eighty two in the regular season. That game Canada and the U S has major implications for the tournament. The winner of that game more than likely probably yeah. will get a far <laughs> easier quarterfinal. Mm-hmm. Like you could, if you lose that game, the lo- well not if you lose the loser of that game is going to probably slide into a tougher road to the gold medal game. And it could be, mm-hmm. I mean, who knows what the outdoor game is going to be. I don't know how the ice is going to be. I don't know what the weather is going to be. Yeah. What if what if you're playing and, um, you know, you don't have a very good first half of the, of the game and turns out in the third period the wind shifts and you're skating downhill? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like oh, yeah. If, it, it absolutely could happen. What if, what if the weather's perfect in the half of the game? You've got the wind, and then when the wind's crappy or the weather turns crappy, you're skating into it. Yeah, this is like, why this is this is why nobody wants this game outdoors. This is dumb. This is a, Canada USA World Juniors are a phenomenal game almost every single year. Thanks for ruining yeah, it. Yeah, but see, but but see, I think <laughs> where you're wrong is you said nobody wants it. Wow. Okay. Because there's going to be forty five thousand people there. And I assume they're not paying three dollars a ticket. All right. Yeah. Uh, the the Buffalo committee, um, they when they make their bids, they have to guarantee a certain amount of money um, for the tournament. Yeah. And that guarantee is is well beyond ten million dollars. So yeah, the days of like uh, Grand Forks getting the tournament, uh, those days are over. The days of Red Deer well, getting you know the what? tournament. <laughs> Steve, I hope they're not over. Yeah. I really do because we were in London last night and there was 9,000 people there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the place was, was sold out. And it's, um, you know, I don't know the last time you were in a, a junior arena. Oh, but, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Long time. You know, it's been a while for me and I forgot how close everything is. Mm hmm. So even in a game, say you had a game that's got 5,000 fans, it's still going to look and feel pretty full. Yeah. And so I hope there's a balance. I mean, we're all old enough to understand what the implications of revenue is. 
um, you know, I hope there's a balance somewhere that a place like London or um, Saskatoon, which had a remarkably successful yep. World Junior, um, that they would they would still be in the mix. The next one next year is in Vancouver, which I'm super pumped for, of course, because <laughs> right. it's at home. And um, instead of living in a hotel for two weeks, yeah. I can actually be in my house, which hopefully will be finished by then, by the way. <laughs> and, you know, we'll have all the carpenters and guys are, I think they're carpenters anyway. They're just walking around the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so hopefully they'll all be the hell out of there by then. Uh, 2020 is in the Czech Republic. And then 21 comes back to Canada. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hopefully there's, um, you know, a return at some point to some of the smaller venues. I just, yeah. I just hope that's possible. Yeah, I hope so too. Some of those early years are pretty memorable, you know. Um, but yeah, um, it'll be interesting to to watch this this tournament. I just wish the game was indoors, but that's fine. Are you are you going to get like? Are you worried about being super cold? How's this going to go for you? No, I think now unless I've totally missed the memo on this. Okay. I I think we are in the press box. Oh, okay. And you know, I've not been to New Era Field mm-hmm. uh where the Bills play. Yep. I sure hope that the press box has a window. I would that you can think that you can so. close. Especially with Buffalo, right? I would think so. Yeah. Because otherwise, if I've missed the memo and I'm down at ice level, um, yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. I'm in a gigantic parka. Yeah. That you will, can't see your face, right? It'll yeah. Which, <laughs> which will just hopefully keep me warm enough to get. Yeah. And if I am to, here's the thing that would suck about that. If I'm in that parka down by the down by the arena, you know, Gord's up in his toasty little warm booth up yeah. there because play-by-play guys are soft. Well, but did you see Houston and Simpson were both outdoors? They were bundled up by the side of the rink. Well, that's fine. If yeah. you're both out there, right, that's fine. Right. But the, <laughs> most times the play-by-play guy yes. is up there because yeah. they're they're poodles and they need to be pampered, not like us <laughs> yeah, gritty sure. stand by the right. ice. As you, as you <laughs> or talk, whatever you want to call us. As you talked last week about like how you, you're scared of the pucks now. <laughs> oh, I'm terrified. Of right, it. Let's right. not be. Let's not even pretend that I'm not. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, before we uh, get to Arthur Staple from Newsday uh, with some Islander news, let's touch on uh, some somewhere where I was at. Ray, I went to the Lightning uh, Knights game the other day, and I texted you. I, I, I think it was late on the East Coast, but I'm like, I don't care. I got to text Ray. You never text me back. You probably pissed off at me that I woke you up. But um, yes, kind of. Yeah, I was best game I saw. I was it was up and down. It was fast. You know, a lot of times the Knights when they the, the one thing they've had is speed over a lot of these teams and I, I've always been impressed and again with my wife there I'm like she's Knights fan to the max and I'm like, "Hey, the Lightning are good. I'm preparing her I'm preparing her for what's happening. Lightning are 8 and 2. Lightning are good. They're really fast. Watch out and Ray, what a game it was. It was just fantastic. And of course, the Knights scored with 2 seconds left. Shay Theodore. Uh but wow, what a game, man. It was awesome. Well, it's it's really been interesting to think about the last four or five years. And, you know, you talk about Vegas and how quick they are. And mm-hmm. I told a story of, you know, a, of a couple of weeks ago running into an assistant general manager at a game and saying that, uh, and him telling me the, the one thing after watching Vegas, he watched them three nights in a row, was that, um, or three games in a yeah. row, rather, was that, um, they don't have one guy that can't skate. Mm-hmm. 
Like they can all fly. And that's the benefit of putting your team together is that, you know, you, you don't have guys that are holdovers to before the game really changed from three and four and five years ago. So they really skate. And what, what becomes interesting to me is how quickly it has changed from if you were small and skilled and fast, in most cases it would be, a oh, tough luck, kid, you're just a little too small and you don't fit in the game. And you, you, know, you were excluded. Mm-hmm. Now the guys that are excluded are six foot two and three that don't quite get around the ice fast enough. And that hasn't been a 20-year change. That's been in the last five years. That you look at some of the players, we're talking about the World Junior Tournament, you look at some of these players that, in my mind, owe all a debt of gratitude to somebody like Patrick Kane because when Kane was drafted, people were, as, as much as they marveled at his skill, they were like, man, but he's going to be too small. And you know what? I was one of them mm-hmm. to think that, yeah. that he was going to be a dominant player. Because I'm like, man, look at him. He, he's just tiny. And then look at what spawned from Patrick Kane. You know, Johnny Goodrow, um, Tyler Johnson, who, was, who went to three different development camps. Nobody thought he could play. Finally, Tampa signed him, and yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, he's an American League guy. Uh, no, he's not. Yeah. You know, just players, now player after player that are of that size, not only do they have an opportunity – there, the the opportunity is different. It's not like oh, we'll take a flyer. It's mm-hmm. like man, we think this guy can play. Yeah, like the the Oilers drafted Kyler Yamamoto, who will be on the U.S. Olympic or I'm sorry, the U.S. Uh, World Junior Team. He'll be one. Of, he'll be one of their top three or four players. He's 155 pounds. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like that. Right? That would right. not even have been a consideration yep. five and six years ago. Yep. So the game has changed, um, not only just in the speed and style, but also in the people that play it. And um, I find it, I find it really fascinating. And that goes right back to what you said about the speed that Tampa and Vegas played at the other night. Yeah, it was just uh, one of those games where, like, you saw so many, like, oh, look at that bounce, look at that bounce pass. Hey, look at that drop pass. Hey, how did that guy see that guy? Do you know what I mean? Like, well, all over the ice. What, Steve, yeah, it was great. The reason I know, the reason I. I'm with you on this so clearly is that night I also watched Winnipeg and Nashville. Okay. Yeah, they had a, a barn burner, huh? Oh, my God. But the speed that, and the skill that they played with. And then I watched a couple other games like that night, and I was like, you know, <laughs> scanned through them, and I'm like, right. you know, before finishing up with Vegas, and I'm like, yeah. man, that's um, – those are like different worlds. Uh, and and uh, I was telling my wife, I'm like, hey, 77 there on t- on Tampa. Uh, look how big he is, and watch him watch him play. And he's phenomenal. Headman was was so good. He a couple guys tried to hit him. They would literally bounced off him, Ray. And he would just. How about when oh. he takes? Well, how about when he takes a stride at his own blue line? Yeah. And the stride finishes <laughs> just about at the red line. Yeah. You're like, oh, like he, that's. Yeah. So yeah, you can be big. Yep. But you've got to be able to move. Yep. And if you're Victor Hedman, I mean, when we talk about the best defenseman in the game, somehow Hedman gets kind of forgotten just a smidge. Mm-hmm. But holy smokes, is he good. He is, yep. he is a phenomenal player. And so, you know, Stevie Eiserman has done an amazing job as the general manager there uh, in Tampa. And, you know, once Jeff Vinnick took over the owner and, you know, stabilized everything mm-hmm. in Tampa, Eiserman came in. And has made, 
you know, some bold moves, you know, trading Jonathan Drouin for uh, Mikhail Sergachev, um, you know, signing. They got ahead of the curve with some of these younger Russian players that a lot of teams had walked away from. You know, they got yep. Kucherov. Yep. They drafted Vasilevsky. But they also had these two guys that were there from the previous regime, and that would be Stamkos and Hedman. And so as much as we can talk about how is the best way to rebuild, you've got to get, you've got to hit not just a home run, you've got to hit a grand slam yeah. when you have picks up at the top of the draft. And they did with Stamkos and, and, and Hedman. Yeah, they bottomed out like twice in like six or seven years, you know, and they grabbed both of those guys. The both times that they yeah, kind of bottomed gotta, out. You've got to yeah. suck in the right year. Right, right, if, right. If you suck and the draft is just okay, yeah. Eh, yeah. that's what you get. If you stink this year and win the lottery, you get Rasmus Dahlin. Right, fantastic, right, fantastic. And yeah. all of a sudden you're a really smart drafter guy. Right, well... It was a great game, and it was one of those games that you watch and you're like, "Yeah, this is hockey. This is this is this is worth the money that I paid to to come here." You know, and uh, and the Caps are in this Saturday, so it might be another good one too. And and they're playing, and they've played very well. Yeah, yeah, no, fantastic. After a really uncertain start, they've they've really started to crank it up, and um, probably a lot of that goes with they stabilized their lineup. They got Matt Niskanen back from injury, so a thin defense got. A lot better, mm-hmm. um, but uh, Washington has played very well. And how'd you like to be trying to make the playoffs in that division? Oh, I know, right? Like, yeah, you lose a couple, and, you're, and Philly's back. Philly is back yeah, now. <laughs> it's like every time you turn around, somebody gets punched in the face, and yeah. you're like, "Oh, here we are. We're out of the playoffs." Right. The the two divisions, of course, that one um, is just murderous, and then Nashville, St. The Louis, Central, Minnesota, yeah. Chicago. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. You know, there's going to be some good teams that miss the playoffs this year. Well, uh, it's been all these Knights games. They've lost two at home, and we were at neither one of those games. That we did, we were at the Carolina overtime uh, loss game. But other than that, uh, these Vegas fans, they've just watched the team win every single game. Every single game, they just uh, win. Oh, this game's easy. This. <laughs> so. When I get when I get back from the Olympics, uh, my first game is in Vegas. I think it's March the second. Yeah. And uh, it'll be my first time seeing uh, T-Mobile Arena and being in Vegas for a game, and I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, we can hang out, too. That'd be great. Well, maybe not. Maybe I'm not there in March. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> Just don't know the date, right? Not quite on top of you. It might be the 2nd or the 23rd. I'm not oh, sure. Oh, geez. Here we go. Well, hey, let's um, – Arthur Staple is a guy that's been covering uh, the New York Islanders saga for a long time for Newsday, and, uh, and it, it, we have him on the phone here. It's for for Arthur, this has got to be this has got to be fantastic news. The Islanders finally got an arena, right? Well, just what great news for everyone that watches and covers and follows the Islanders for forever. It's been one dead end after another, and um, man, it sure uh, was an exciting exciting bit of news. Well, not a bit, an exciting <laughs> bunch of news the other day uh, when they announced the new arena. All right, let's uh, let's get right into them. And now, as promised on the Paul Pocky Podcast, this man has been covering the New York Islanders ups and downs for, for a long time, and, and things are finally looking good, as we talked about. Uh, from Newsday, Arthur Staple. Arthur, thanks uh, for coming on the show. Appreciate it. And I guess the long national nightmare is over for the New York Islanders. Uh, it seems that way. You know, I think uh, Islanders fans uh, certainly have a right to be skeptical until they walk into that new building in a few years. But uh, it certainly looks like 
everything is headed in the right direction. And, uh, you know, this is a, this is kind of uncharted territory for the Islanders organization and their fans. And, um, to have a, a, you know, as Gary Bettman put it yesterday, a, a state of the art world-class facility to call their own. Um, it's, uh, you know, I think there's, there's still a lot of disbelief around not just the, not just the fan base, but a bit in the organization that, that this is finally something that's, that's come to fruition over, Two decades of trying to redo the Coliseum or find a new place to play or, or hold a public referendum on getting some financing for it. All these things that have seemed like good possibilities that fell through. Uh, but this one, uh, shepherded by uh, by Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York and, and by the Islanders' owner, Scott Malkin and John Ledecky, um, it, it finally seems to be happening. And it's, it's, a, real big, uh, it's a real big day yesterday. It, it, you know, you could see on the faces of a lot of the fans that were there and longtime team employees that, uh, that things are going to change now, I think, in this organization. Arthur, the, the thing that really struck me, um, you know, you mentioned the owners, Mr. Malkin and Mr. Ledecky, and, uh, was how quietly they went about this, even when the, the word got louder and louder that, you know, the, the lease is running out, it's not working at Barclays, they, they have to find a different place to play. And for so many years, Everyone that has followed this saga, there's been a promise, uh, what about this? There's a new brass ring over here. And then this seemingly, the Belmont spot, kind of came out of nowhere, and it seemed to be miles ahead the best option that had been presented in years. How does that happen? You know, I think that the key to it is that it's it's a New York State project. It's not a local project like uh, like the hoops that Charles Wong had to jump through to try to get his lighthouse project going. Um, you know, and he was thwarted by Nassau politicians, by by town of Hempstead politicians, by you know people, uh, Democrats, Republicans. He got it from all sides, which is uh, pretty amazing in this day of in this era of partisan. Apologize, right. but uh, they banded together to stop him from getting a new coliseum. Um, but but the fact that this is New York State, and uh, you know, I think that's the that's the key part of it. That there's you know there's obviously some community uh, discontent that needs to be smoothed over. But this is their land, and uh, they want to develop it. And uh, and the Islanders were very smart, uh, Ledecky and Malkin, to partner with. Uh, with a couple of uh, big names that have dealt with the state and the area a lot over the years, uh, Jim Dolan, who owns a big piece of the Oakview Group that uh, develops arenas, they're they're doing the one in the Seattle as well, and then Sterling Properties, which is Fred Wilpon, uh, who owns the Mets and is not a terribly popular guy around these parts, but he certainly knows real estate, and uh, and just partnering with those two people and their and their organizations. Um, it may seem a little strange for the Islanders to be reaching out that way, but this is a billion-dollar project. You have to have a lot of a lot of capital and a lot of uh, a lot of powerful people involved. And I think putting that group together really is what pushed this over the top. And like you said, they were able to 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 identify this as a spot that they wanted to be, um, and really kind of quietly went about making sure this was their top priority. And, and yeah, I think people heard from John Ledecky a few weeks ago saying. Belmont is our only option, and uh, I think that at the time they felt confident they would win this bid, but also um, that uh, this is really the, the place that they wanted to be and needed to be uh, and weren't really thinking of a plan B. Did yesterday feel like a, you mentioned the longtime employees and, um, and those around the team, did it feel like a giant exhale or <laughs> not quite yet? <laughs> 
I mean, I, I think it's, it was a day for, for celebrating, you know, to see people that I think were probably working there when you were playing there, uh, you know, who... It's amazing, were, Arthur. Sorry to interrupt, Arthur. It's amazing when I go back how many familiar faces <laughs> that, that I see. It's really quite astounding. You know, and I, and I think that speaks to what kind of organization this has been. I mean, through all of the craziness of owners and con men trying to buy the team and, and all the other stuff, it's a, it's a local business on Long Island, and that's really what it's been for a long time. You know, uh, the Coliseum was, uh, was like your local rundown rink, and the fans could go there and buy a cheap ticket 10 minutes before game time and park for, really, park for cheap and go in and, and have their – their crappy old building that was theirs. And, uh, you know, I think those employees who have worked there a long time, it's, it's, it's a job that, you know, a lot of people who live on Long Island work on Long Island and don't really leave it very much. It's a very provincial place, as you know. And, uh, mm-hmm. I think obviously this is, this is a different level with a billion, where you're talking a billion dollars of investment in a brand new building and what that's going to bring. But still it, it, it brings it back to, to the place where it started and, and I think uh, the, the fans are, are going to be real happy. You know, I, I, you can't say for sure that an 18,000-seat arena will be filled every night. You can look at Detroit with their, great, you know, their incredibly nice brand-new building that's not full because of the way the area is, the product on the ice. But you can certainly say that things will be better than they were the last 10 or 15 years at the Coliseum. And the first couple of years in Brooklyn were, you know, a lot of the longtime fans were turned off by the experience there. So, you know, I think uh, I think bringing it back to Long Island and making it feel more like, uh, you know, a homey sort of experience to, to support this team and work for this team is, is a big step for them. It was smart for them to identify it that way. And so the of, of the of the great moments and in Islander history, you've got the four Stanley Cups, you've got the drafting of John Tavares, and you've got the arena. Is this the greatest day since John Tavares was drafted? Yeah, I think so. You know, that changed the course of, of the organization in a, in a way, obviously on the ice, but, uh, but this one changes, changes the, you know, I think it just changes the discussion. You know, you having played there, I think you know, and me even just covering them and having no connection to them other than being a reporter, you end up having to defend this team a lot over mm. the years uh, <laughs> and saying, you know, trying to prove that they're a real team and that they have real people and they're trying to win and um, all these other things that have that have beaten down this fan base to a very small, loyal group over these last 10 or 15, 20 years. And, uh, you know, to have this arena, have it be for the Islanders, it's going to, they're going to have input from day one. They're not going to be a tenant. They're not going to be, um, an afterthought. And, uh, you know, I think, I think it just improves their standing in the league. Gary Bettman doesn't have to defend them anymore when he's, when he's giving interviews about who might move or what's happening with the Islanders and where they're going to play. John Tavares doesn't have to defend them to his friends in Toronto or his family about whether he can take this team seriously. Um, I just think I just think in subtle ways the the conversation about this team will change, and that's the first time that's going to happen since I've been around them, and, and the first time probably since uh, you know since David Volek really. You know, oh boy! Tavares, oh, there we go. There we go. Tavares getting drafted made a, made a big change. They won the playoff series a couple of years ago, but you know 
be on the ice success can be a little bit fickle as they show as they saw last year. Yeah. And even this year, if they take it, you know, if they lose two or three in a row, they're out of the playoffs. It's just that difficult. But this, I think, changes kind of the the peripheral nonsense that always seems to be floating around this team or whenever I get asked about it, if I go on the radio mm-hmm. or in a, see, see a, an opposing fan or a fellow reporter, even sometimes players and coaches around the league. It's just the conversation is always tilted towards the negative, and I think this maybe shuts that up for a while. Okay, so shifting from there to the ice, but you can't totally shift unless you unless we talk about John and uh, Tavares and his contract and how much of a factor this can and is or will be uh, come July of 2018 when he's eligible to sign an extension. You know, I, I think it's, I don't think it's as big a factor right now in the middle of the season. I just get the sense from him and from his camp and from the Islanders that he, he just doesn't want to be bothered to think about it. You know, I'm sure if he decided tomorrow he wanted to, you know, get it all over with, he, you know, he, it could be done very easily and very quickly with a lot of money for him. Um, but I, I didn't get the sense from his public comments, and I don't get the sense privately that uh, that he's ready to wrap this up. It seems like it's going to be an after-the-season kind of thing. And, and I imagine that when he made this decision to wait this past summer, you know, inviting all the questions and the, and the you know, mm-hmm. fans' uh, anxiety, um, you know, I think maybe an, un- an unintended consequence was seeing, you know, the meters running and it's going up. I know, you know, he wants to bet on himself and he feels confident he can have a season like the one that he's having, but the cap goes up in the interim and the talk of, you know, seeing who's shifting things around as we get towards the end of the season to maybe make a run at him if he gets the free agency. It's, 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 uh, it's a little enticing. I think, I think Steven Stamkos kind of fell into that a little bit too, before he made his decision. And I think for Tavares, it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit, you know, this is the last phase of his career that he's going to have total control of what he what his future is, and I think he's going to see it through pretty close to the end. Uh, whether it gets to that that window where he can talk to other teams, I don't know if that's going to happen. But uh, it's going to be a very a very lucrative process for him. Whether it's an eight year deal with the Islanders for a hundred million or more than that, or whether it's a seven year deal for 13 plus per year from somewhere else. It's, uh, I think he just wants to really see it through and, and feel it's the most complete consideration he's given it. And he's certainly not going to stop now, even though this is, this is definitely a check mark in the Islanders in the Islanders, uh, category, you know, a catalog for him when he's considering the pros and cons of staying. When we, when we, so now we're, we're at this point, John is going to, you know, under the radar, make his decision much as he's done everything else in his career. And I just, I, I really marvel at the maturity that he deals with all this stuff with that. It's just, it's straight ahead. It's not unfocused. It's never all over the board, but then you get to the team, which is when I watch them, I think they're a high wire act. I love watching the Islanders because I never really know what's going to (laughs) happen. How good are they? I mean, they're good is a relative term. They're they're <laughs> never boring. That's for sure. Whether it's six five for the other team or they're down four one, and you you know they they always know they can come back. The, the the offensive 
flow and firepower that they have is, uh, you know, obviously Tampa's got what they've got, and those are those are proven elite scorers, and they've had success. The fact that that Doug Waite has this team operating offensively the way that they are is is quite a surprise to me. I mean, Matthew Barzal is, uh, you know, has been a revelation, and nobody could have really predicted what he's added. But but seeing the way that that top line operates, seeing Nick Letty take his game to another level, um, you know, even before he got hurt, Calvin DeHaan is, was on a you know thirty five forty point pace. It's just there were people contributing that you never really thought would be able to contribute at that level, and uh, and it's been a bit of a revelation and and maybe a bit of a surprise. And really, that that uh, zest for offense, I think, uh, has hurt them a bit defensively, and they don't really have the kind of goaltenders to bail them out of, of, you know, mistake after mistake after mistake. And, and I think that combination is, has not been great. Um, you know, they're not, they're not this great offensively, I think, and they're not this bad defensively. I think they, they'll settle in somewhere in the middle, but, but it may have to come after some changes because the way that they're constituted right now, they feel like they can score at any time, but I think they also feel like they can get scored on it there's any mistake at all in their own end. And that's obviously not a, not a recipe for success uh, going into the second half of the season. Now they have cap room and they have assets. What would be the priority? Would it be a defenseman? Would it be to chase another goalie? Although there doesn't seem to be many that would be available. Um, to me, it seems sad to, to try and add a, a significant piece to the blue line. Yeah. You know, and I'm, and with the Hans injury and, you know, he's, He's not the saving. Have they, de- have they determined how long he is yet? Uh, it, I, nobody said anything about surgery yet. Surgery obviously probably kill, you know put him out the rest of the year. I, I think at minimum, even without surgery, it seems like a six to eight week sort of thing. Ooh, that's a big um, loss for them. Yeah, it's a big loss, and and he is a, he is a, you know a throwback in the sense that. You, when you don't notice Calvin DeHaan, that's when he's operating at his best. He's just a steady guy, and obviously they have Letty and Boychuk on the top, Johnny Boychuk on the top pair. But out of their bottom five, six guys that they've been rotating through, no one has been more crucial to them than than DeHaan. So it's a big loss, and and uh, they're trying to fill it internally. But yeah, when you when you think about some of the names that could be available, you don't really even know if you, if you could get an Ekman Larson. Or somebody like that. They, like you said, they have the assets, and they, they even with Dahan had a need for someone to be a little bit more forceful with the puck in their own end. They just they, they have seemed at times to want to break out and and get going on offense so badly that they they forget some some basics and some fundamentals. And then the secondary part is, do they have the goaltenders? You know, the the Rangers have operated for years with Henrik Lundqvist as their safety net, and not just he's a great goalie, but also he's a guy who makes up for mistakes. And and the Islanders, mm-hmm. I think, have seen now that Thomas Grice and Yara Halak are not goalies that can that can save your bacon on a regular basis when you're giving up 35 shots a game and a dozen point-blank grade-A chances a game. So is there a guy out there that can do that? I, I don't think so. You know, I mean, you know, there's... Not that, no, there's not that anyone guys. wants to move. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, do you think Robin Leonard can be that guy? Who knows? No, uh, <laughs> no, I don't. Be high. Either are either goalie, either of the Red Wings goalies that guy. If you go for Jimmy Howard, maybe he's done it in the past, but you've got another year at a big number, so you'd have to do some fiddling around, and that maybe 
keeps you cap-wise from doing something else big that you might need to have in the next couple months before the deadline. So I'm sure Garth Snell uh, and Doug Waite are weighing all of those considerations. Halak goes in that uh, for these last couple, I would think, before the break. Obviously, we're in the middle of the roster freeze until the 27th. Uh, and if it doesn't go well, yeah, you got to think that uh, you know maybe swapping out one of their problem goalies for somebody else's problem goalie just to, just to shake it up and see what you can get uh, would be the first step because it, you know it, it it would be kind of like for like but uh, but maybe just a change some sort of change would uh, would be helpful for them. Yeah, the um, the goalie in Detroit, I think that might that might be available more readily and, and fit into the what you're talking about is Morazic. It's just whether you think, you know, cause his deals up at the end of the year, it's just whether you, you believe he would be an upgrade at all on, on what you have, because he's kind of lost his mojo in Detroit a little bit. He's a competitive guy, but he's not big. And that really seems to, to, you know, hamper the way people look at Morazic. It's just whether he can find it back, but there's not put it this way. There's, there's five or six defensemen you could probably target, there's not five or six goalies, and that right. really limits and, their options, doesn't it? Yeah, and I would think that any of those defensemen obviously would cost a lot, but they, they have extra yeah. picks. They have some prospects that they seem to have a better handle on now, or, or some certainly in, the, in, in Bridgeport that, um, that have showed pretty well and maybe changed their mind about some other people that they have. They've got a couple of young defensemen down there who they're really high on and uh, Devin Taves and Sebastian Ajo is a Swedish kid. I think they picked in the sixth round this year. Who's got 20 points already in, in the AHL. So maybe that changes their thinking a little bit on, on giving up actual players. But, um, but yeah, you know, if, if there's a year to try and swing for the fences, uh, it would seem to be this year. And obviously the arena thing is settled and that's a big piece, but, but you still have to, show your captain that you want to win and and it's and it's important to work on a certain timeline to win. You're not going to sacrifice all of the future, but the purpose of the Travis Hamannick trade was to have these extra high picks in case you got into a situation where you needed something or you wanted something to put you over the top. And, and frankly, I think they can do both right now because they're good enough to be an elite team in the East. There's, there's nobody that, that really scares them uh, other than their own play their play in their own end and their goaltending. So, uh, you know, I think when they, when you hear the cliches of guys, like we feel like we can play with anybody and beat anybody. I think it's true. They have the firepower and the confidence at the offensive end to beat anyone in the East. Uh, it's just a matter of being able to keep the puck out of their own net. And, and like you said, maybe there's, there's a guy or two out there that can fix that for them. Arthur, my first year, um, or my second game, I scored a goal and three assists and I was minus four. <laughs> and my coach, the late Jack Evans, put his hand on my shoulder after the game and said, son, you're a threat at both ends of the ice. <laughs> and that's maybe what the Islanders are right now. Yeah. Fun yeah, to watch. It's... And I, I, I'll tell you, as an alumni, I felt great pride or happiness the other day when they announced that deal. I was like, this is exactly what has been hoped for since I was there that there would be a new arena, that there would be something that you could call home, uh, something that you could reconnect to uh, that maybe could be like the Coliseum was for the fans. And with, for all the years of we're all defending the team, and sometimes it was hard to do. It was just, um, 
it was just a fabulous day uh, to watch and to see that this arena is going to get done. And hopefully the rest of the year goes as exciting for the Islanders. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think having that out of the way is is a big step and and uh you know maybe calm some of the like you said calm some of the noise and and they get back to focusing on uh, on what they need to focus on which is getting into the playoffs and and being able to be successful because that's the that's the second piece of the puzzle when it comes to appealing to john Tavares to stay arthur uh one for me before we uh wrap up and thank you for coming on by the way arthur staple from newsday um with the new arena, can can we get Ray an invite to an alumni game? He's never he's never been invited to an alumni game, and I mean the Islanders. Well, I did you know, I did this past year though, but but I was working. This was the first one. Uh, Mr. Malkin and Mr. Ledecky invited you know uh, everybody back basically for a weekend. I was working, but it's the first time in I don't know however long I've been gone. I've never played in one of them. I'd like to play in one. Yeah, It'd can, be fun. Can we make sure he can play in one then? Well, um, they don't really have these alumni games. They have, you know, what you should do is just bring your gear to the nice new practice facility. And I think Garth and Doug and the coaching staff get out there for some for some afternoon uh, shinny. Mm-hmm. And that really, I think that's the that's the closest thing we get. That's more of an like a late '90s Oilers alumni skate, considering Doug and his coaching staff. But. Um, yeah, see, they're too good. If you can, they're too close to playing those guys. <laughs> I don't want anyone that good on the ice. The real, the real problem is that uh, is that Garth doesn't play goal anymore, and he's just out there. He's just out there winging slap shots at whoever, whatever poor slob puts on the pad. So uh, yeah. you have to, you have to be, you have to keep your head up too, from what I understand. <laughs> uh, well, maybe one day, maybe one day. Well, what we can do is is the new arena. The lights are dark. They come up. First, first thing people see is Volick and Ray reenacting <laughs> the goal. We'll find Volick. Ray can give him that sweet pass, and and we'll that'll kick off the new arena. I think that'll. Do you be... know how many times we'd have to practice that to try and even get it right? <laughs> <laughs> the pass, the shot, everything. <laughs> I will tell you, I am I. Whenever this arena opens up in a couple of years, when when it's set to go, I. I can't even imagine what it would be like to walk in there and to see it um, as a member of the alumni, to think that all these years this is what's come to fruition. I was in Detroit, Arthur, the other day, and Steve, uh, my first time in there, and I just was totally blown away with the building and with the facilities that the players have and all the detail that went into the rink so the fans have an unbelievable experience. and. I can hardly wait uh, to see what this new building will look like. And it'll have the Islander logo everywhere, which will be just an amazing thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's, like we said, it's, it's going to be a, a new phase for this organization that no one has ever seen before. So I'm, I, I, even as a reporter, you know, I'm still covering them in a few years. It's going to be, it's <laughs> yeah. going to be, I'm not going to, I've always missed the, the, warning asbestos signs up near the press box in the Coliseum yeah. <laughs> in the years we haven't been there, but I think this is going to be something quite different and quite enjoyable. Well, fantastic. Uh, thank you for your time, Arthur. Really appreciate it. Good news for the Islanders, and uh, thanks for coming on the show with, with Ray and I. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Anytime. Have a great holiday, Arthur. All the best, and we'll run into you soon. You too, Ray. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. What do you think, Ray? Uh, you and Volick reenacting that moment. Thanks to Arthur for coming on, by the way. <laughs> um, I don't think that I'd like the pressure of actually trying to make 
a play again. It, 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 I wasn't kidding. I think it would take us – I don't know what would be harder. Well, actually, I do know what would be harder is I could get the puck over there. That's not a problem. Okay. But David's going to have to corral it and then shoot it. Right. Me, I just got to throw it over in that yeah. direction. That'll be fine. It was a good pass he, he, at high speed. Cool. It was a good pass at you know at, at some speed. So let's not let's not make it totally Okay, there weird. was a, there was a day that that pass was pretty easy. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> right. for me, like right. you know I I had I had good hands and I could feather a puck, you know, I could do that. Right. Right now I don't know if I would throw over a tennis ball to him and the <laughs> thing would be bouncing all over the place or Right. I would be ner- honestly just thinking of that, I would be nervous to to even try that where people were watching again. You yeah. know, like, <laughs> right. Well, you've seen these teams have done that, right? You've noticed this? Like, this is kind of a new thing. Football does it. Hockey's done it. Like, with coffee, he had to thread a pass to somebody when he were. Yep. Yeah, like, it's yeah, kind of like a new it, thing. It like a quarterback throwing to a receiver. Right, um, right, right. It's, it's pretty cool stuff. But yeah. I think if they were going to open the building, what they should, uh, what they should look at is the, uh, is the Clark uh, or is the Bobby uh, Nystrom nice – over overtime winner. That's the uh, that's the one. Or, that's or, the or, one you need to open it with. Or Clark Gillies beating the crap out of somebody. There we go. That'll be good too. Yeah, um, <laughs> they probably like that too. Right. Uh, but, by the way, we didn't even talk uh, with Arthur. Uh, Josh Bailey is actually leading the Islanders in points right now. So um, you know, phenomenally enough. Now, okay. So here's here's a thought on that. Yeah. Is you have a player who is in the last year of his contract, mm-hmm. who is having like whatever beyond a career year is, he's having it. He's playing on the right side um, with with Anders Lee, who's well over twenty goals, and and Tavares, who's having a, an amazing year. Yeah, nice line. What yeah. do you pay a player like that? Well, yeah, is this the outlier year where you give this dude all this money? We've seen it what eight thousand times, right? Oh. Right, like how do you how do you get your head around what's the right number? Because right. the right number is a big number. Yeah, but how big is that big number? Oh yeah, is it is it um, like is it well eight years forty five million? You know, a little over five million a year. Is it over six million a yeah. year? If it's over six million, now you're getting into a point that you're starting. You've got to start and look at what that all looks like with the right. cap. Even though the cap's going to go up, mm-hmm. you know John Tavares's number is probably going to almost double um, from six million to well, you know whatever you're going to pay, whatever you're going to pay him. Well, right? Arthur mentioned Arthur mentioned thirteen. I mean, you don't. I, yes, the cap goes no, up. He mentioned, the thir- go up, he mentioned but, thirteen. He mentioned thirteen with another team. Yeah. Okay. Because I I can't. Tavares is amazing and he's great, but. Isn't Connor McDavid's number just over just that was one year ago? Isn't that the cap for these players? I don't know how it can't be. Right. I, I mean, are you looking for Tavares? Are you looking at um, eight years, eighty-eight million? Yep. You know, eleven million yeah. a year. I mean, you, you know, somebody might want to quibble over whether it should be twelve million or eleven million, but mm-hmm. does it really matter? Yeah. Well, yeah. it matters only to the cap. Yeah. Because to to John and his family and his family's 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 family, <laughs> right. 11 or 12 million is really not going to be the tipping point. Um, and speaking of Bailey, too, yeah, he's a better player than Matt Molson. But that, oh, not even close. Yes. Right. right. But, but it's the same sort of theory where Matt Molson's playing with John 
racks up goals, gets a big contract. Now he's only $4 million or whatever, and he's now buried in the minors. I'm not saying that's happening to Bailey, but that's a classic, hey, let's play this guy. His contract's up. Like, look how good he is. You know? Right. I, I would say that the, one of the differences would be that Bailey's younger. Yeah. Um, that he moves, you know, he moves better. And so that yeah, yeah. Molson got, Molson's one of those guys, I think, that when the game changed, he was, you know, he's still on the last page of it. Sure. Yeah. You know, he's not a great skater. He's got really good hands around the net, but you got to be able to get there. Right. And, you know, the, the game just yep. literally flew by him. Yep. And and now he's he's in a position where, you know, or was in a position where he just couldn't, you know, couldn't produce. And I don't think that's the same for Bailey. Like, I would be confident it's not. I would just be unsure as to is this the the Bailey we get all the time? Yeah, or yeah, yeah. is there going to be a, a little bit of a, regret, a regression? I mean... How do you know? But you got to, you're going to have to bet millions of dollars on it, and that's a, that's where that seat probably yeah. gets a little hot. I uh, I think it's cool, right? Like you played for a lot of teams, and uh, you know your you call the action for all these different teams, and and I can get a sense from knowing you over the years that you know, like you you, you don't you're pretty cynical. You don't you don't cheer for one team or another, and and you no, know not at all. Yeah, you you know you're a little bit. This is very much a job to you, and, and kind of like I am with my coverage of of my sport. But um, you do have a soft spot for the Islanders. I can really tell, and that's cool. I like that. Like you're not, you know, you're not openly cheering for them or whatever. But you're, you're stoked that this happened, and you wanted to get Arthur on the show. I I I was so I felt actual like pride <laughs> right. when they yeah, announced the yeah. arena, and I'm, that's cool. And I'm like, and that doesn't happen for me. I don't um, because I I don't know the guys. I don't you know I'm not. Yeah locked in and connected daily with the team. And I know there was a, you know, there was a section of people that felt I was really hard on the organization for years and years and years. And, and I had a standard line, which was the last time they won, um, you know, a playoff series, I was in it. Right. Like, what would you like me to talk about? And so I had the good fortune of broadcasting the game for NBC that the Islanders beat Florida in overtime. Tavera scored a, an amazing overtime goal for the the first series win since 93, since yep. I was in it. Yep. And I was so – that was one of the few times in broadcasting. The other time was when Landon was playing, but um, my son. But when, when I, I felt – excitement for the team that won because I felt like, you know, yeah. one, one millionth connected yeah. to it. Yep. Yep. And so I'm, I'm pumped. They're getting a new rink. I just, I can't wait. I, I, I'm telling you, I don't know where I'll be when they open that arena mm-hmm. or what my schedule will look like, but I'll be there. Yeah. Like I, I know, like in my head, I was, I was actually thinking yesterday, I can hardly wait till opening night. <laughs> That's cool. Like, yeah. I, I just, I want, I want to see it. I want to be there. I want to, I, cause I know the people will be Islander fans have this and Arthur talked about it. That, yeah. You know, they, it, it's been so long that they've had a, you know, everything oh, nice to look at right? and hear about. And so it's just kind of like grown smaller and smaller into this hardcore. Yeah. Like you can't believe the enthusiasm. Uh, of these of this core of fans, when I walked out to do the game, like I couldn't believe the number of people that remembered me and that yeah, yeah. were like, "Oh yeah, I, I was there in '93," and right. and you're like, 
I just, it, it was awesome. Yeah. No, so for cool. those people, yeah. this will be cool too. This will be beyond cool for them. Absolutely. All right, moving on a little bit. We're going to take some questions from you people too uh, that we got on Twitter. Uh, Leafs, uh, Leafs lost last night to Blue Jackets. Uh, not much happened. I don't really want to talk about that game. The day before, uh, though, they bombed out uh, Carolina. And again, I don't really want to touch on the Leafs so much, but I couldn't believe, right, like Scott Darling was fighting it. He was fighting it. And Bill Peters left him in the whole game, the whole time. I was going... Okay, is like we know Bill Peters kind of went off on Eddie Lack last year, and you know the famous Patrick Waugh leaving Montreal, uh, the, you know all those years ago. But was this sort of Ray an f you to Scott Darling from the coach? Like I'm not pulling you. Like you figure this out. Like um, I, I mean, there was. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was surprised that he he stood in there. Yes. Or had to stay in there to take all eight. I mean, that's that yes. really. Really sucks. I mean, like, because right, right. as as bad as everybody else is, because nobody loses a game eight one by themselves, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got a you've got a lot of help um, <laughs> yeah. if you lose eight one, right? But so you know the the way the game went, like the time to pull them for me was after the first period. It was yep. it was four one, and yep. so like the guy gave up four goals in thirteen minutes. In the in yeah. the first period, yeah. and so you you know you you leave them in. So now you get into the third period because there's nothing that happened in the second yep. period, yep. and so they don't score for like about nine minutes into the third period. Mm-hmm. So like. If you haven't taken them out, yeah, after yeah, you're first, not pulling you're not them out. Taking them out after the second, yeah, you're not pulling them after two. eleven minutes left either. Is what you're saying, right? And yeah. so at that point, you you basically got to chew a bad sandwich <laughs> if you, if you're if you're darling or a shit sandwich, and, as they might say. Well, yeah, I mean, right. you know, you could call it whatever kind of sandwich you want, but it's not going to taste very good. I can I can be certain to yeah. guarantee you on that. Yeah. So, but now if you if you look at um, uh, again from you know, from Carolina's perspective, they signed Scott Darling in the off season um, to a four-year, sixteen million dollar contract. He's got an eight ninety-six save percentage. Mm-hmm. Below him in the save percentage chart are Maxime Legace, who was the you know the, yeah. I think he was the fifth goalie yeah. that yep. that that Vegas used. Um, Laurent Boissois, who's just a young kid in Edmonton who got shelled a couple of games, uh, but really hasn't played that much. So two really young kids. And then you have Chad Johnson, Thomas Grice, Peter Morazic, and Jonathan Bernier. Backup, 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 backup. And then you have Scott Darling. Free agent signing. (laughs) Yeah, free agent signing was supposed to solidify your goaltending. So they've got to be... You know, Carolina, I would say, um, has been one of the more disappointing teams uh, for for a lot of people in the league because I think the the view is they're a pretty good team. You know, like yep. they 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 should be a pretty decent team. Yet they're you know they got the way I look at it, they've got 14 wins and 19 losses this year. Yeah, yeah, they got you, you know you seven overtime or shootout yeah. losses, but their their goals against they give up 15 more goals against than then they've scored. And a lot of that is their, um, is, is the way that 
they defend yeah. and the way that they keep the puck out of their net. They've got a really good young defense that's played just okay, mm-hmm. but their goaltending for about the eighth year has yeah. been no good. Yep. Yep. And so Peters might be a great coach, a bad coach, or an in-between coach, I don't know. Yep. But until they get some saves, I, you know, so the other night, I guess they leave him in because there was really no chance to take yeah. him out. And you're not going to go to Cam Ward with yeah, know, 10 little, minutes left I honestly, and say, here, it's, it's 5 nothing here. Go, you know, why don't you go in and finish yeah. this mess up? The, the first two go, were horrid. I would might have done it at the first two. Like, you're out. You're, you don't have it today. It's 2 o'clock start time. Clearly, you're not into this. See you later. Well, you know what? That, yeah. That's a decent point, Steve, because the game's not gone then. No, no. I mean, um, I thought and, the first two and, stunk. Like, I thought the first two were totally stoppable. You know? So. Well, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not going to disagree with you. But, yeah. So if they don't take them out after the first, right. then, yeah. then it's his game. Yeah, yeah. Right. Got it. Got it. So it's not totally like an F you, is in my theory of you, to you. Is no, not, because yeah. right. there, are, there are some where a coach will, mm-hmm. you know, basically say to the goalie, hey, man, you made this mess in the bed. Yeah. You 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 figure it out. Yep. I think there was a Lundqvist one with Vigneault one time, where Lundqvist was looking over and and he, he yeah and not... Vigneault just <laughs> Vigneault just stared away from him. So that that was basically that one, if I remember right, was yeah. a uh, that was a contest of wills. Right, right. And I'm sure you've played on teams where you're like, are, are you pulling this guy or no? You know. And well, goes, there's two things yeah. that happen. There's you sit on the bench and you're like what the hell, like, get this guy out of here. He's, he yeah. can't stop anything today. You know, it's not that you think, oh, the, my goalie sucks. Yeah, it's just... like, he can't stop anything right now. Get him out of there. <laughs> right. And then you look down at the spare goalie, and he's tying his skate because he doesn't want to look at the he coach because the coach it. might put him in. <laughs> he's because like... he's basically saying, yeah, all the guys sitting on the bench, Are they suck today. <laughs> and I don't want to go in behind them. Yeah. Um, hey, Matthews has a concussion, right? I don't. I don't know how it could be anything else. Right. Okay. Yeah. I've I've read hand and and this and that. I watched the play. It looked like he got hit in the head. Right. So. Well, yeah. it, uh, as as I've said many times, Steve, um, I'm a little bit a ways of being a doc from being a doctor, like yes. the whole way, <laughs> like the entire educational process of being a doctor. Right. But when a guy grabs his head, mm-hmm. um, that would seem to be an indicator yeah. of. Right. Of concussion, I would think so. And and see, I think you know they're they're obviously being cautious, but it's not even being cautious. The the player are not just being cautious. I should say, the player has to pass the protocols, mm-hmm. and then he's got to get back in shape. Yeah, and it takes time. And so now that they're they're off for basically, you know, for I mean, the roster freezes on. Yeah, and, um, they don't play again. I think until. They're out in Arizona, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I, is there is their next game? So it would just make sense to what's one more game or no? Just never mind. Just come back. Yes, you got another week. I mean, maybe he'll play once. I don't know, but um, you've come this far. You might as well just take the week. He goes home. He gets to be at home in Arizona and then play out there. Like to me, it uh, makes all the sense in the world. They're at the Rangers Saturday. And then that's it. Ranger so, Saturday and yeah. then in Arizona, right? Yeah, yeah. So doesn't yeah. it kind of set up to just play in Arizona? Yeah, yeah. There you go. Right. Yep. Um, all right. Uh, wrapping this thing up, Paul Pocky Podcast. Thanks again, people, for listening. Thanks to Arthur Staple for coming on. Uh, Eugene Melnick, Ray. 
Do you want to touch on this? Do you, this guy? He's... Well, some, sometimes it's better to say nothing. Oh, and, boy. I mean, could you imagine Ottawa's PR staff <laughs> standing there right. and, and all they're thinking of, there's going to be a flame bomb on my desk in four minutes. <sighs> oh, and here comes another one. And here comes another one. Like, I don't. So basically, Melnick said in his comments, and correct me if I'm wrong here. He said, I have a whole bunch of money, yep. but I'm not spending it on the team. Yep. Yep. He said, I don't have that much money because I can't sustain these losses. Mm-hmm. He said, <laughs> We need a new rink, but maybe the new rink downtown it won't matter. Isn't the right rink. Yep. 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 So. I'm not sure I really want to own the team, but come out to the game and buy $20 beers, would you? Because that's yeah. what we really need. Yeah. Like, I, I just, the whole thing was a mess. And I know he's an emotional guy, and I, I know he, he was probably frustrated because he was taking some kicks in the shins from all over the place. But I'm telling you, that oh, was... It was terrible. Given that forum, that was a debacle. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. The fans might be like, oh, yeah? You think you're, we're not buying tickets now? Watch this, you know? I don't know. Well, yeah. Be, yeah, I, I guess if you, if you want to go, eventually you're going to go, you know, whether the guy owns the team or not. Yep. But there, there, can't be, there can't be forces pulling in different directions. And if the owner is pulling against himself, you know, come to the game, yeah, it is what he wants, but you don't come to the game. So now I'm mad. <laughs> well, even if you are, why would you say that? Right, exactly. You, yeah, you, like what's going to make anybody bond behind your team? They've got to find a way in Ottawa to reconnect emotionally with the community, um, because I think that's and part of it is where the rink is. Part of it is, um, you know, it's a smaller market, and they always, always, always are and will be the little brother to the Leafs. That's just. Yeah, just the way it is. So figure out a way to reconnect. You've got one of the most exciting personalities in the game, and you you better build around him because if you don't have him, um, that becomes a pretty nondescript team. Yeah, it was it was not good. It was not. It was great for for me as a fan to just read about it and see all the columns and stuff. But come on, Eugene, come on. As I'm watching it, I'm like, somebody stop him! A big hook comes out of this out of the screen. Yeah, it's like a, right. like on the old comedy vaudeville right, thing where right. somebody with a big upside down umbrella just pulls him right off the right, stage. Right. Um, uh, hey, so the best NHL moment voted by fans, uh, and Mary Lemieux got the award at the at the winner at the the outdoor game the other day. 1988, he got eight points in a game, which is amazing, of course. But more, more importantly, five goals, five different ways. He beats out Bobby Orr's uh, iconic uh, OT goal where he got tripped and he went flying through the air. Um, I'm okay with it, Ray, but I mean, I think there's a few better moments if, if, if I'm voting, you know. But, uh, you know, you got to get a bit of a luck to score five goals. you got to get that penalty shot, you know, you got to get the empty netter. You know, but I mean, the rare, the rarity of the possibility even happening, yeah, makes it incredibly special. You, you're right. I mean, you you have to get a penalty shot. Yes. you can't score if you don't get one. And how few penalty shots are there in a year? And then in a game where you get five goals, what the hell's the other net empty? <laughs> right, exactly. How many right. are you giving up? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like this is there are some oddities to that whole 
thought of five goals in one game. Yeah. Like, I can see you get a power play goal and a shorthanded goal. Yeah, and a regular one. Sure, and a regular and one. And a regular yeah. one. Yep, yep. And a penalty shot. I can see all of that. But then to add the empty netter into right. it, too, like, how does that even happen? Especially... But for me, like I'm telling you, Steve, as a, yeah. as a fan of the game, um, you know, I, there's, there's been no moment for me in my lifetime that, is, that has been more, more special than Bobby Orr's goal. More, more yeah. iconic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this isn't an NHL moment, but the only other one that even rivals it for me is Paul Henderson's goal. Yeah. In 1972. And maybe part of that is that I was a kid, and you know those moments when you're a yeah. fan as a kid, yeah. just they yeah. just they envelop Yeah, they, they you. resonate with you for sure, forever. Yep. And, and so, but what Mario did is astounding. Now, I played in a game when he scored a goal. Um, we had a five-on-three power play. <laughs> and our D went D to D with the pass yeah. in the offensive zone. And Mario reached out like a pterodactyl <laughs> and just <laughs> knocked the puck Both down. Did, right. And he had a breakaway, two men short, yeah. and he scored. And we said after the game to Kay Whitmore, um, who was in goal, um, we said to him, Witty, you had it right until you slid into the Zamboni door. <laughs> like Mar- Mario put a deke on him. Yeah, he went this way, sudden, that way. Yeah. He was just gone. <laughs> and we're like... <laughs> So we're on a power play, and you got to chew a minus. You're like, how the heck did that just happen? Well, so like Mario was capable of incredibly special things. Well, in, 19, it, in 1988, do you know what you would have had to do to a guy to get earn a penalty shot? Like, good God, can you? Yeah. Ima- I don't know what the call was, but can you imagine what you had to do? Yes, I mean. <laughs> I mean, that, that could have been somebody with a blow dart from the bench. Right. Exactly. And, and I mean, like, like, now nobody ever, we never even really complained, oh, that should be a penalty shot, because there was they, never they, any. They never happened. They rarely happened back then, for sure. Um, for me, though, 50 and 39 and 92 goals. I mean, come yeah. on. Come on. You yeah, know. the. Um, yeah, that's all. That's I mean, all. The, the, I, I guess. The fifteen thirty nine was cool in a, in a special way because he got five that night. Yep. And um, empty net goal you know, too, the, by the way. Yeah, his last one was empty netter. And, and just just the way that he skipped the fifth one into the empty net. Yeah. You know, like like that. I mean, that's that's a record fifteen thirty nine of the records that will never be broken. Yeah. That's one of them. Yeah. No, somebody might get fifty goals again. Yeah. <laughs> they're not. Yeah. They're not getting them in thirty-nine games. No, no. And then, of course, the the record breaker was, yeah. you know, so, in, in Buffalo was was just a, an amazing um, amazing feat for him. But for Gretz, but um, if it's a singular moment, um, I guess I don't have a problem with the five and five. Yeah. But for me, it, it's it's always. It's always Bobby Orr's goal. The thing that taints the Bobby Orr's goal for me, though, Ray, is, is and it was it happened before I was born, but the thing that drags it down a little bit is, you know, the, the NHL stacked all the expansion teams in one division. It was a four-game sweep. You know, the last, it, was a, it was the last game of a four-game sweep, and, and the Bruins mm-hmm. were, were just so much better. So it's like, I know he's flying through the air, but it's the Blues. You know? Yeah, but you can taint almost any memory if you really – if, if you want you know, to be a jerk, there's always going to be something to it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the the fact of the matter is, good team, bad team, yep. 
I don't recall any other goals like that. No, you're right. Yeah. To to yeah. to win, you know, to win, yeah. whether it's a four game sweep or the seventh game in overtime, or there's nothing that is so dramatic. And then the fact that, um, you know, the way that he flew through the air made yeah. it. Oh yeah. Made it one of the most well. It's as iconic a moment in sport. I can't think of many others in other sports either. Yeah. That have such a punctuation point is that. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. Um all right, let's get to some questions from people on Twitter. Uh from Leanne. I'm one of Ray's biggest fans. Sadly, I don't get to see many of the broadcasts he is on. Yes, Leanne, I can relate. I'm the same way down here in the US. Does Ray always use the same knot on his tie? You know what? I do. I tr- Every time I try to change it up, and sometimes it inadvertently changes up because I do a crappy job with it <laughs> and I'm in a rush. But, you know, I see these websites, you know, how to tie a tie, and there's like you can tie them kind of inside out and yeah, yeah. like where the knot flips around, and I'm like, man, that's way too stylish for me. I can't do that. And... Every time I try something else, I'm like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. Should I change it up? We should. People should let me know. Should I change the knot up? Yeah. Change, there's a there is an NHL Twitter account for for t- knots on ties. Like, it, 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 there's actually well, yeah, a, it's, it's a couple of people that rate them. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I mean, the fact that I lost once to Gord is outrageous. <laughs> Did not know this. All right. Yeah, so that bothered me to, to no end. Uh, from Mike DeKalb, uh, there's a rumor George McPhee called Thomas Heike up from the AHL for one day, although he didn't play, and then sent him back down so that he could get one day's salary as a NHL salary as a Christmas bonus. Are you familiar with this? Is it common? I didn't know. Um, I can't imagine for a second that that would okay. happen. Yeah. They called him up because they probably needed another forward. Um <laughs> There, there is no. Uh, I, I can't. I've never heard of. Hey, let me call you up as right. a Christmas bonus. What about the other guys? Or don't they get called up too? I call everybody up, right? Exactly. Call the whole team up right. for a Christmas bonus. Yeah. I, I, it's a nice story, and gee, George is a hell of a nice guy if he did that. But yeah. uh, I can't buy it. Uh, from Bert Smeets. Hey Ray, what do you remember about the the WHA? Merry Christmas, guys. WHA, Ray. Um, I remember a couple of things. I remember being pissed when Jerry Cheevers left because I was a Bruins fan. <laughs> right. And then he came back, so I was happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember thinking they had that the Philadelphia Blazers had the coolest uniforms. I remember the arena in Minneapolis, I believe it was in St. Paul, had clear boards. Oh, I don't remember that. Really? So yeah. you got to find a picture of this. It's yeah, yeah. awesome. So like there'll be a scrum by the boards, mm-hmm. and like you can see the people's feet. <laughs> it's weird. Uh, and then um, we never got to see a lot of games. It would like nowadays that league would have had a different profile because there would have been some network that carried it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. Somebody. Yeah. I remember seeing just a very few games that the WHA had. They would be, I want to say they were on like Sunday afternoons or something, and um, they usually involved two American teams. Yeah. And so I don't really, you know, recall seeing a lot of the games, but I remember the 74 series they played um, against against the Russians. Yep. 
Um, so that was really the the most that I'd seen a lot of those players was was in those was in you, that series. You 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 were too young, but not that. A much off Ray, where where you know, like when they, when the when Rick Vive and Goulet and Messe all jumped, you know, they were pretty young and they got big money and they went pro. Like yeah, they got they went down to yeah. Birmingham and yeah, like um, um, they were called the Baby Bulls at the time and um, they were just plucking so, guys out of junior, I guess. What were they saying? They were just like, yeah, yep, come on down, basically. <laughs> and um, so that was, I think, the league ended in 1979-80. I was yep. drafted in '82. Right, right, and yet. And, and this is, you know, a difference of the times example, 473. So I, I was only a couple of years removed from possibly playing in that league. Yeah, yeah, right. But Steve, I didn't know that it was my draft year. That's an in the year point. that I got drafted. Right, right. <laughs> I got told in January by my coach in Penticton, a, a guy who's become a good friend, Mark Pezen, I uh, said, hey, you know, if you keep playing like this, you could get drafted. And I said, well, yeah, when, next year? He said, no, June. My birthday's August 23rd. I thought deadline for the draft was August 15th, but it's September 15th. Just unbelievable uh, when you hear that until story. Until that right. point, right. I didn't know. Like, could you imagine a, a kid today not yeah. knowing Oh, gee, I think I'm yeah. getting drafted next year. Yeah, we Not got a chance. We got 13-year-olds that are like, hey, this is his draft year. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. 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 Oh, that's hilarious. I didn't know that story from you. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, just, we just, yeah, I was just kind of right. zipping along and doing my thing, and right. then all of a sudden, oh, really? Uh, from well, John. that would be cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, growing up in Winnipeg, like, man, I felt like as a kid, we, the Jets were well established in the NHL with Howard Chuck and, and all these guys, and we were still talking. We mean the city was still talking about Hall Nielsen and, and Hedberg. Like the, they, their legacy went a long time in Winnipeg. Well, that that line really yeah. was yeah. one of the of the modern era. That was one of the first super lines yeah. that we would all remember. Um, and you know, and the fact that uh, Ulf Nielsen and Anders Hedberg came over and. Um, you know, were were just so talented, and the, along with Bobby Hull, they played a style that nobody else played. Yep. You know, they never dumped the puck in; they kept it, they held it, they regrouped, and um, and then they just shredded that league. Uh, from John Con uh, Ray, when players line up at the faceoff circle, you often see the opposing winners talking to each other. What are some of the usual conversations? Is it usually friendly, or is it trash talk? Oh, most of the times, like, "Hey, what's up, bud? How you doing?" Yeah, yeah. You know, like uh, you, you might know the guy. Um, you might, you might, <laughs> like literally, you might have played with him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of cases, you're like, hey, how's the family? What's going on? How, how old are the kids now? Yeah. Like stuff like that. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, have a good one, and then slash him on the foot and move <laughs> along. Do you have any guys when you're between the benches come and be like, hey, Ray, what's up? Uh, a lot of guys. Yeah. Tyler Bolzak's very friendly. Oh, is he? Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's you know he's not like during the play. No, no, no. But, but you know if there's nothing going on, he's. But you have like no, you have no relationship with Bozak, you know, from no. any, anything. But he's well, actually, the only connection I have to Tyler Bozak is his dad, Mitch, mm-hmm. was one of my favorite players growing up. Mitch Bozak played for the Trail Smoke Eaters, <laughs> and there we go. <laughs> he was an amazing passer. So I told him this one time. Oh, okay. And he's, I said, he was sitting there, and I'm like, hey, uh, you know your dad was one of my favorite players. I go, he was a hell of a passer. He goes, huh, that's what he always said. I'm like, no, I'm telling you. He was 
because there would have been no video. No, I'm like, right. no, I'm telling you, he was yeah. awesome. Oh, so this year, I'm walking down the street in Edmonton after dinner, mm-hmm. and there's these four people coming the other way, and one of them goes, hey, Ray, uh, how you doing? And I'm like, hey, how you doing? It's, you know, it's, yeah. After dinner, I'm like, you know, I'm just trying to get to the hotel, and I'm like, hey, how you doing? And he's like, good. He goes, hey, I'm uh, Tyler's dad. I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Like, for me, that was awesome. I'm like, Mitch, you're my favorite player. And so that's how I that's how I started talking to Tyler. He's a good golfer. We talk about golf, you know, rarely in a little bit. And, you know, a lot of guys pop by, hey, how's it going? And and then a lot of guys just think I'm probably an old guy that they don't even know that I played. You probably, right? They're probably like, who is this guy? Like, check this guy out. What's he doing over here? how small this guy is, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know they're going. I've actually had more than one player say to me, whoa, you had 400 goals? (laughs) <laughs> like they, they, like somewhere they must have decided to yeah. check it out, or right, they heard, right, or right. like I'm sure they're like, look at you, you're like, look how small you are. <laughs> um, yeah, well, so what? Like, yeah. what? I wish but, I was taller too. Beat it. But yeah, you know? but, like, but so guys will come up to you in between the benches and be like, uh, hey man, what's up? And how's the golf game? Yep. Or 400 goals or whatever. That's cool. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I rarely ever like, like I, I feel like I'm in their workspace. Right. And so I rarely, if ever, would initiate yeah, anything. Yeah. I just, right. I just don't, I don't want to be in there. We we saw the Roman Polak video of you. Yeah, the, oh, that's, <laughs> now I say hi to him all the time. He's a big, gruff, friendly yeah. person. Anyway, you know. A um, couple more questions here, Sam Finden. I'd like to hear more about custom skates in addition to the custom stick question from Pulp Mech Show. We had a guy on my motocross show call in and ask a question for you. Um, he's, he listens to both of the shows, and his mm-hmm. his question was, like, at what point, Ray, do the stick and skate guys, and this goes back to Sam saying about the skates, when do you get custom stuff? Like, how good do you got to be? How does that work? I mean, everybody kind of, uh, you know. Stuff, the yeah. custom stuff comes when you're drafted. Oh, really? Um, oh. At, yeah, after you're drafted. I mean, I, I'm sure there are some guys, the top-end guys, they'll they'll have a deal uh, worked out with a skate manufacturer. Um, the, the, the new skates, um, now even the ones you – you get in the store, they're um, they're of such yeah. great quality that they're not quite custom, but they're close enough. Yeah. Yep. Then when you get your own, like I, you know, I'm looking at the skates that my son wears, and he can you barely get your foot in the skate. It's that tight. Yeah. And like when it's, it goes in there, I mean, like it's locked in. Yeah. And I'm like, no, no wonder these things are so comfortable. You know, like we ended up with, you know, you'd have skates and you go, yeah, they fit pretty good. <laughs> like, what do you mean yeah. they fit pretty good? Yeah, yeah. Like these guys, it goes in and everything's just like a glove. Right. Well, they heat um, them up, right? Now they heat them up, right? Before they put well, them in and all yes, that. Well, yeah, but yeah. They're, they're heated up to a, and there's a, you know, different material in it that just forms to your foot. And sure. so, you know, one thing that if you, if you look at hockey players walking around in sandals uh, in the summer, a lot of them have these goofy looking ankle bones. Uh-huh. And it's because of the way your seats have pressed and forced on them. Um, you know, they get these bone spurs at times. But now I yeah. think that's probably less and less a thing. But it would be around the time you're drafted, 17, 18 years old. Yeah. And, and stick curves and everything? Sticks, stick stuff? Um, like yeah, not till, not till you're drafted or, okay. or if you're a, a star and you get a, yeah. now. a custom deal early. But the, the, you get your own curve, but when you start – 
you you know the the stick companies will show you maybe four or five different sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll be of existing players' patterns. Okay, and you pick the pattern that's closest to yours. They're not gonna. They don't make every guy his own stick. Yeah, I think that's more what the guy was asking. Like, does everybody get their own stick? No. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No. No, um, absolutely not. And you, back in your day, you know, you had the aluminum with the, with the blade. You just be working the torch, just, just. Yeah. Well, I had my own pattern, um, but sometimes the you know they're they're curved and molded in a factory. Yep. But they're wood, and so when they dry out, they you know there would be a variance in what the curve would look like. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'd come. I'd be like, "Whose sticks are these?" Yeah. And I'd look, and they'd have my name stamped on them. And I'm like, holy crap, now i got to go back to the workshop here. You'd you'd shave the bottom. Sometimes the angle, the lie, would be wrong. You'd basically customize it yourself. Did you always use an Easton? Uh, uh, Yeah, I always used you, for the most part. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. that was was the aluminum stick that, at the time, was really the... The the easiest to get and the and the one that had the the biggest um, the biggest variance in like the flex of the shaft. Yeah. And the, how about, I used a very soft shaft. How um, about when when uh, Wayne showed up with that? Just blew everybody's minds. You're just uh, like, yeah, but not only did Wayne show up with an East and Wayne had the silver one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we couldn't get the silver one. Oh, you couldn't? Oh, okay. No, yeah. No, there was one guy that had a silver. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, last question from Cam McIntyre, and this. Uh, did Ray ever play a Christmas Eve game? And I'm going to expand this to not only Christmas Eve, but they used to have Christmas Day games. Um, did you play in either one of those? No, no. Nope. Uh, it's, to my knowledge, um, almost any time that I played, the last one you could play was on the 23rd. Okay, yeah. Um, and then I uh, played plenty of Boxing Day games. Mm-hmm. And um, you always wanted to be the home team in a Boxing Day game. Yeah, for sure, right? Because you <laughs> felt like a bucket of bolts. Yeah. You know, after Christmas, and you sat around and ate, and yeah. you got to play the next day. But you, you know, you're up. You know, you're up late on Christmas Eve, wrapping presents and doing all the stuff around Christmas, and mm-hmm. then you got to get on a plane at eight in the morning so you could get to wherever the hell you were going. Yeah. To have a morning skate which felt like in two days that you'd not skated in a month. Leafs always had a Boxing Day game in Minnesota forever, for a long time. Boxing Day was in Minnesota. We played, we played them in Atlanta one Boxing Day, and we pummeled them. I think it was 6-2. And we're like, so wonder. These guys had to fly from Toronto to Atlanta this yeah. morning. Yeah, Yeah, really, right? All right, uh, to wrap it up on the Pulp Hockey Podcast, Ray's random NHLer. Ray, uh, I pulled a name out, Russ Cortnell. Oh, Rusty, one of my roommates in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Oh, wow, um, I didn't know this. We used to call him, we used to call him Prime Time. We always <laughs> joked that he, uh, he never had a poor friend. Um, <laughs> so Russ was one of these guys, no matter, he always had something on the go. And he just, he had this little strut around him, you know, like he was, I don't know, he was just... He was re- he was really had a lot of things going on. His um, his like even the fact his wife um, her name is uh, Paris Vaughn. Yep. And Paris's mom was a legendary jazz singer, Sarah Vaughn. And so like we're like even like that's not boring. Yeah. Yeah. About Russ. So he used to do this thing. He thought it was hilarious. Now Russ, I think is shorter than me. He doesn't think so. But. <laughs> Anyway, we would have our pregame meal, and Russ would always make sure he got out of the room in front of me. 
you know, like the meal room. So he'd go up to the room. I'd go up to the room, and he'd have the chain on the door. So he'd make me knock, <laughs> and I'd have to knock on the door. And he, I could hear him on the other side of the door. He's like, who is it? And he, he goes, I'm looking, out, I'm looking out the peephole, but I don't see anyone. If that's you, Ray, jump. <laughs> and so he'd never open the door until he said this stupid joke all the time. But Russ was also, um, on that team, we had four guys that year play their thousandth game. Uh, Doug Bodger, mm-hmm. Gary Galley, Russ, and myself. Mm-hmm. And so we have a, there's a great picture of the four of us all sitting, to, you know, all standing yep. together in our gear. But the four of us just by happenstance had gotten traded or whatever to L.A., yeah. and we were all in the same spot to play our thousandth game in the same year. And one of the fastest guys you've seen? Oh, he could skate. Like, even when you Russ, were played with him, like, he, he was fast with the Leafs and, and Habs, but... Oh, yeah. yeah, but when we would do these skating drills at the end of practice, and and uh, Russ, Russ would say, I can, I can bag skate all day. <laughs> like, he could skate all day. Yeah. When, yeah. You know, the rest of us would be, like, carrying yeah. around a bowling ball, and yeah. Russ would be skating around like it was nobody's business. He's like, how long you want to do this for a coach? How long? Yeah, just tell me to go again, and I'll go again. Traded for John Cordick, everybody. Ugh. Yep, that was um, that was a Leafs Canadian trade. Oh, boy. Um, well, there we go. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. We're off next week. Ray, you're doing the World Juniors. I'm going to be in Hawaii. Well, enjoy uh, yeah. enjoy Christmas there. Yeah, it'll be it'll be. I've never done this, so it'll be really exciting. I've never gone anywhere for Christmas. Uh, it'll be great. I, uh, um, you know, for uh, for everybody that's listened to us over the last little while, and um, thank you very much for listening. Uh, hope you enjoy the shows. Let us know what you'd like to hear, or what you'd like different, or what you like, for that matter. And um, hope everybody has a really safe and really happy holiday. And uh, we'll talk to you in the beginning of uh, 2018. Yeah, fantastic. All right, everybody. Thanks a lot, and thank you, Ray. Take care, Steve. Have a Merry Christmas. You too.